In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse. In the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated it from the waters that were under the expanse, from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9 God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let there be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day, over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and everything living creatures that moves which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to the kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the bird of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. Let us pray and ask for his help to understand and obey it. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday morning, another time with our Bibles open, Lord, open to the beginning and the creation account. We ask that you open these things to our understanding and help us to make not only sense of it, but useful sense, practical sense. Lord, teach us what to do with it. We thank you again for all your many blessings. We ask for your comfort, your care on those that are needy, downtrodden, perhaps depressed, worried, brokenhearted. Lord, we live in those places. You are the God of all comfort. We implore you both for grace and mercy and tenderness and all those things. But Lord, would you stand us up straight, give us strength, not only to praise you, to take care of our families, to be of some good to others, but Lord, right here and now, show us these things you revealed to us from heaven. And Lord, we ask all this in the precious and holy name of God. Amen. Well, we're going to go through, as mentioned earlier, some patterns that are repeated. And when we get to the end of a few of these, understanding that we're merely scratching the surface, uh, we'll try to put one together that'll help us for the next several weeks. In other words, analyzing the scripture for what's there, but then uh, trying to extract from it implications that matter uh, to our understanding, the way we live and uh, the way we think. So over the course of these six days, we'll start with, and God said, because that is a repeating pattern, but it is uh, a very important piece of the whole structure. Uh, There's a lot of, and God said. Practically, before everything that is created, we, we see that take place. It might be a good place to just wonder in our, our heads, why is it that God spoke these things into existence rather than thinking them into existence? Um, <clears throat> I don't talk to myself a lot, but I do talk to myself some. Uh, in my... I guess, creative process of putting together uh, messages to deliver publicly. You know, there's that creative uh, scale that's kind of similar to everyone, no matter what you're doing. You start out with, hey, this, this is pretty cool. Let, let's try this. The next stage is, this is really good. This is going to be great. Everybody's going to like this. And then the next stage is, I don't know. And then there's the next stage, which is, this is absolute garbage. Nobody's going to want any of this. And then usually right before you get ready to, you know, pull the cover off or deliver whatever it is, you say, maybe this will work. And then you have to just find out and see what happens. But that's kind of your creative arc. It's at the end when I start talking to myself and these things don't even make sense in my own head that I go, this is is no good. Um, But God chose... Because that's really what we've got to conclude. He chose to do it that way. We're not told why he did it that way, but he spoke these things into existence. Some have even gone to the 
to the notion of wondering whether or not, like C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia, it was sung into existence. I'm not sure. We'll have to ask him. But we do know that it was spoken, whether it was melodic or not. Again, we're not told. But there's at least two things that kind of help us uh, having spoke them into existence. And there may be more, but it sets up a pattern for when we get to the New Testament in John and we start listening to John explain how he was the Word, but he was life. And when Peter says things like, uh, everybody's leaving you, we're going to stay, to whom else would we turn? You alone have the words of life. All over the New Testament, we've got this idea that it's the Word of God through the gospel that brings uh, restorative life, a new birth to us. His words are living words. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it, it kind of fits Old Testament and New. And then secondly, um, thoughts are private contemplation. You can keep that to yourself. But speech, spoken word, is public, and it's considered communication. So not to get ahead of ourselves and bring the Holy Spirit into the account before it's brought into the account, but perhaps God is talking with himself the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a possibility, though that's not what's explained here. We just walk through it. We ask our questions. Some are answered elsewhere. Some aren't answered at all. But um, let's get to the end God said. It started with, let there be light. And then the next day, let there be an expanse. That's the sky and the heavens and space. And then on the third, uh, let's gather the waters in one place and the land in another. But when you get to the, the last three days, you've got let the earth sprout vegetation. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. So just walking our way through those and God said and watching the creative work unfold there's a couple of things that we can say happen at the sound of and God said. We go from nothing to something after an and God said. Now, we, in verse 2, there's this tohu and bohu. The earth was without form, so it's formless. That's the tohu. And void, that's the bohu, that's empty. Those are the Hebrew words that describe it. But now we're, we're seeing that ordered uh, out of a mess of, of nothing, no definition, no light, no dark, no uh, deep or wide. It, it's, we talked about this definitionless nothingness, basically. And now we've got something. So to go from nothing to something in the Genesis account requires and God said. And then secondly, uh, non-living things to living things doesn't happen without and and God said. Uh, that's between the first three days, uh, though the plants seem to kind of be positioned there between the first three and the last three. But as far as the living creatures in the waters or on the earth or in the sky, living things happen at the sound of and God said. That's one of the biggest 
difficulties when we're thinking our way scientifically through how we account for what we've got now. And going from dead things to living things is a, that's a big deal. Uh, how does it happen? Was that an accident? Did it work its way up? Uh, did someone bring it from somewhere else and drop it off? Or did it happen at the sound of, and God said? Because we know in this natural world we live in now, you don't get living things from dead things. Do you remember Louis Pasteur from school? Law of biogenesis. He's the one that said, I'm sick and tired of, of this. I'll do a test. I'll put the stuff in a jar and we'll see if there's flies later. Found out that the flies need to land to lay the eggs where the other flies come from. Rotten meat doesn't birth flies, right? The rotten meat's dead and so on and so forth. Um, These are elementary things that we learn in school, but then we have difficulty tracing it back and say, well, when did that start and where did it come from? Genesis tells us uh, we go from non-living to living with, and God said. But then there's the even more significant transition, and that's way down in verse 28 while we're still working with the and God saids. He changes it. And God said, and God said, and God said, and then all of a sudden you get an and God said to them. Now this is in reference to the man and woman. But being made in the likeness of their creator, made in his image, we read over that, we'll we'll look at it in detail in chapter 2. Human beings can receive God's speech. So we've not only got a God who speaks these things into existence, but with one part of his creation, humanity, he speaks to them. And they can understand him. That He's made them social beings who can not only receive his speech, but understand what it means, and vice versa. So what you've got with the, the biblical account through Genesis in Christianity is the one who spoke the world into existence can talk to you and you can talk to him. We've kind of swept a big group of religions aside. That's not the way they work, but that's the way this one works. As As important as the sun is to the universe, we talked about the fine-tuning of the universe. If it was a little bit further out, we'd freeze. If it was a little closer, we'd all burn up. It's very important to our galaxy, but it has no sense. It doesn't even know it's there. We know it's there. It doesn't know it's there or we're here. It doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have consciousness. It's dead, though it's burning off fuel and warming our planet. God created it, and it's important. But what does that say about you and I that he would make us such that he can talk to us and we can talk to him? That's significant. That adds uh, a weight and dignity to all humanity made in his image and can communicate in his way. So move on a, a, a little further. What did he tell them? The them that he's addressing, those that he's created being able to receive his speech. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he's given them a job. Dominion is uh, its banner. 
Uh, its technicals have to do with uh, basically everything. But he's given them real authority. There's no other way to, to account for what this means but to say that God who made it all has decided to entrust certain parts of his created order to the management of human beings. He's the original delegator. You ever have to do that? How many of you would love to raise your hand in this church and bear witness to the fact that you enjoy delegating? Some do. Most don't. I mean, you're just looking at, okay, we've got this trainee coming in here. They're supposed to do a job to make this business run more smoothly, but it's going to take me a long time to teach them how to do that to where they can actually help me. For a long time, it's going to be me helping them and not getting my job done. It's just easier if I, what? Do it myself. God didn't have that problem. It wasn't in his brain to begin with. He decides he's going to make this world and these humans are going to take care of it. That was his design. He delegates. And I don't know when that hits you as you're growing up and maturing. Uh, I didn't really get it with first jobs in life, like make sure this trash can is empty on this day of the week. But the day that uh, our firstborn was put into my arms, and it dawns on me that I have a dependent, and I'm now responsible more so than I've ever been before, that's some heavy delegated authority from the God who creates our souls. Basically says, this is mine, I made it, but I trust you to bring it up. That's huge. And uh, since I went through this last, these thoughts were part of uh, my father's funeral service and, and your Pastor Ross's as well um, as part of a gospel presentation. But that really is a defining moment when you realize you've got an eternal being in your custody and you are responsible to teach him these things that we're discussing right now. Um, decisions, time, efforts that echo across eternity. Real delegated authority. But with, with real authority also comes real responsibility. You never want to have authority without responsibility. Uh, when you've got governments where a guy can do whatever he wants to with no checks and balances... No responsibility to tame the authority. You can have a mess and have it quick. So we're going to read in the next chapter where God places certain boundaries, requirements. We'll end with that, but won't get into it in earnest until the weeks come. Uh, we'll have to wait on that for chapter 2. But it makes sense that if God's going to give Adam some authority, some rope, he's going to need some training and some boundaries. All right, well, let's go from and God said to every and all. That's another pattern we want to highlight. Uh, it's probably easy to miss those because it's, it's scattered throughout the whole passage, kind of like when the leaves fall off the trees, they just flutter down and, and land spread all over the yard. Uh, the every, all, and everythings are littered all through this passage. Uh, I'll just give you a snapshot. We'll pile it all together like raking the leaves up into a pile. So God creates every living thing which the water teems, every winged bird 
God made all the creatures that moved along the ground. Adam rules over all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. Adam will rule over every living creature. God gives him every seed-based plant and every tree that has its fruit within its seed to eat them. And then all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath or life in it, I give every green plant for food. Lots of alls, lots of every, lots of everythings, as if to purposefully put emphasis on the fact that there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, we ask the question, why such an emphasis on the multiplication of kinds and varieties of flora and fauna? It's a good question. So let's stick up under the all and every a category uh, as a subpoint. Abundance and excess. Uh, there's no other way to describe what we read other than abundance and excessive abundance. With all and every, whatever else might mean by those words, it's easy to say that God's creation is not minimalist. I like a simplified list of tasks. I like a simplified machine to work with. There's certain times where it's complicated. And, uh, you can have too much stuff. You know how that works. When you're a kid, you begin to accumulate stuff as you have birthdays and Christmases, right? But it's just toys. It's not real stuff. And then you work for a paycheck and you start adding more stuff. And then by the time you get married and you have a house, you start throwing that out and getting better stuff because you're a little better off and maybe you've been given some things. By the time you hit a certain age, you start getting rid of stuff. Uh, you're giving away stuff. I can't go to my mother's house without some stuff. Uh, she's going to give me some stuff to take home. Um, we have a lot of, of stuff, and minimalism has its place, but that is not at all what we see here, and there's got to be a, a reason why. Um, land, sea, air are completely saturated in the proliferation of species and ecosystems, food chains and all. With all the ways God could have fueled our bodies, I mentioned that, all the life gets all the plants, you know. Uh, there's ways he could have went about doing that more simplistically or efficiently. Uh, there could have been like these pills were all issued and one pill will do you for a day or a week or a year, I don't know. That wouldn't be very much fun, but it would work. Some people would love it. Some people think eating's a waste of time. I like eating, but not so much. There's people around here who think I should eat more. Um, I talked to a woman back in Virginia at what we called our senior saints gatherings, and I, had, I asked her how she was doing. She said, I'm doing great. We're doing one of my two favorite things to do. I said, eating? She said, yeah. I said, what's the other time? She said, nap time. <laughs> nap time and eating time. But God gave this enormous variety of things to cook and eat and put together in different combinations. Um, I don't mind uh, admitting it, though I wouldn't recommend it wholesale. You got to be careful with what I say I've done or watched or listened to. You go home and you're like, good grief, he listens and watches or, or eats this. 
But uh, Anthony Bourdain, um, who was a brilliant storyteller, uh, who lived a troubled life and needed Jesus, um, probably was the best I've ever seen at traveling the world and telling the stories that go along with the diversity of food and the people that surround it. I kind of needed a hazmat suit at times to get through some of the stuff. Between all that really cool stuff you could watch, wish you could smell, and even more so wish you could taste. But God did all that. It's all included in the six days creation. Um, Why do we have eight million species on the planet? If it was just 100,000, it would be more to keep up with. But you think you've got your bird list memorized or your fish and which ones you can keep at which lengths. Then you go fishing with a buddy a few miles down the beach on the other side of, say, a river. And you've got species that won't cross it, stuff you don't know you've never caught before. This is crazy. They're everywhere. And then you've got these documentaries. I remember when I finally got at the house, delivered by Amazon, the new box set called Planet Earth. It was nature films. Some of you guys, uh, no. This was by the time cameras got small enough and light enough and cheap enough that you could put them in all kinds of people's backpacks and send them all over the world and bring back footage that basically no one's ever seen before. It was amazing. And one of the episodes had to do with the birds where this little bird in a rainforest to attract a mate will take a few square feet of the rainforest floor and look as if he swept the whole thing and maybe vacuumed it. There's nothing there. Everything else is a disaster, and you've got this cleaned-out spot. And then he'll go gather a bunch of uh, flowers that are orange, but just orange, and then more that are only yellow, and put them in this little pile. And then he'll have a pile of rocks, and then he'll have a pile of uh, berries that are all blue and then red berries, And they're all sorted in little spots. And then he'll just sit there in a little hut he made and see if anybody's interested in his work. (laughs) Like, man, if you walk through the rainforest, you'd think somebody's been here. It was just a bird. And God makes this stuff up in a matter of, what, milliseconds? As he's speaking into existence on a specific day that these things exist. They baffle our minds, but we just can't get enough of its curiosity. Why did he do all that? Why? We haven't even talked about stars. Three billion in our own galaxy, perhaps two trillion other galaxies just like ours. What about uh, colors? They say that we can distinguish between seven and ten million different colors with our eyeball. How many of you ever colored with every last of the 64 crayons in a box? You had favorites because, you know, they got sharpened down to nubs and then other ones that you never really used. You use the peach one because that's people's faces color. That's 64 colors. What about 7 million colors? And and they say your eyeball can tell the difference. I don't know the difference. I can't count to, to 1 million But it's there. Why is it there? Is this excess? Is it a waste? Do do we need all those stars? No. Or can we just chalk it up to God as showing off? He wanted it that way. He's put his signature on it. 
He'll only do the best. It's magnificent. So let's take another step from abundance and excess, uh, which we put under the and God said, uh, and, and let's add to it order and creativity. Because those two things we find, at least in our experience, uh, can be at odds with one another. Order versus creativity. We're usually focusing on one or another. Either we're going to organize everything and put it all in its neat box, or we're going to get out the paint and we're going to make a mess, right? It's either order or it's creativity, but usually you don't see them at the same time. Against the creativity of the every and all that we just looked at, let's take a few minutes to look at the extreme orderliness of everything being created creatively. Um, the first three days, if you noticed, create three separate spaces. And that overcomes the formless tohu of verse 2. Where you start out with the formless without form and then void. Well, the formlessness is handled... It's overcome in the first three days, making three separate spaces. And then the second three days, four, five, and six, we see the creation of what fills those spaces, overcoming the empty. That was bohu, without form and void, empty. Well, now they're full, uh, overcoming that. And each of the days has its distinctive marker. They don't bleed into one another. Uh, He didn't take a break. It was morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, and that was first day, second day, third day, fourth day. Uh, Plants, trees, land animals, sea creatures, birds were all created according to their kinds. Uh, We even talk about that in, uh, you know, scientific classification of animals. There are species, but there are orders, and at a certain point, you can breed all sorts of different shapes and sizes and colors of dogs, but we've yet to breed a cat out of a dog or vice versa. There, there seems to be <coughs> a wide berth, but real guardrails. So there's order there along with the creativity. Um, you can try this this afternoon when you get home, order versus creativity living under the same roof. If you've got more than one child, you probably have one that leans more orderly and one that leans more creatively. And given enough time, they grow up and they really get on each other's nerves right at that you know, inflection point. One will walk past something on the ground that's, that should be put away and never see it. In fact, they probably put it there. It doesn't bother them. And then you've got one that'll say, good grief, who, who animals live in this house? Pick it up and put it away. You'll know when things really get going when the one who is creative starts to mess with the one that's orderly and starts moving those things on purpose just to see if they notice. Usually they don't come together. But then again, if you've got more than one child, they're both your children, right? They're both human, but they are drastically different. Of the insects we've got on the planet, they're all insects, but there's like, uh, I don't know how many, I wrote it down in here somewhere, um, million species, almost, 
um, snowflakes. All snowflakes are snowflakes. But they tell us that there's never been two alike. That there's enough variation within the way that those crystals form and then flutter down to the ground. Now they clump together. Um, it's hard to get one under a microscope because the microscope needs to be as cold as it is outside. But if you look at it, the magnifying glass, the right way, you can almost see one lying there flat near another one that's totally different. So you've got creativity, but you've also got order. All humans are humans, but no two are identical. Christopher Watkins says, Everywhere we look, the creation is a symphony of similarity and difference, which is reminiscent of the Trinity, equal ultimacy of the one and the many. And we'll get to that in time, too. Now let's take another step from order and creativity. Let's go to the repetitive phrase, God saw that it was good. So we see that over and over and over again, basically at the conclusion of each of these days. Surely the statement is not given to indicate that God, after his creative act, happened to notice that it was good or is surprised at his creative genius. The other day we were out in the garage doing something. I can't remember what it was, but when we got done with it and I was finished, I, I stepped back and I said, Sometimes I even impress myself. <laughs> now, that's a joke. And my son who's laughing right now knows when I said it, and he just thought that was, that was absurd and wonderful at the same time. But that's not this. God's not going to be surprised by what he made and how he made it. I might be. I might actually find that I did better at something than I thought I would or find out it's a lot worse than I thought I would do it, but not God. He knows exactly what he's going to do. There was a plan and purpose the whole time. So this is not a realization on God's part. It's a declaration on his part. He's telling us so that we know that what he made is good. does this all the time through Scripture. Um, he, he doesn't ask questions. Jesus didn't ask us questions because he needed to learn what was going on. He asked us questions. So we think, and thinking through the answer, we learn more about ourselves, like what he knows about us, so we can figure it out. So that's what's happening here. Point is that the created world has value. That's what the good means. It's a value term. Bad is also a, a term of value. One is good, one is bad, but it's your assessment of its, of its worth or its usefulness. So the world has value before and outside of us human beings because we're part of the creation where he's out and apart and over and the reason for the creation. He's, he's disconnected from it. It's his work. We're not the judge of what's good in this regard and what is not as far as the natural order of the world as he created it. We're not at liberty to say, you know, I, I don't appreciate gravity at the moment. I think it should be shut off. Um, that's not our call. Nor can we do anything about it anyway. Uh, God cared for the universe, the environment, the fish, the birds, the animals before any human made the scene. Now, we like to get ahead of ourselves, mow things down, pull things up, make an abundance of stuff that can't rot. Uh, we need to think through those things. We've been given custodianship of the planet that God called good. He called it good before we ever got here. So the Christian worldview does have a box 
for what to do with the environment. But it's a little different than perhaps if we didn't see it this way. He gets the call, and then we get to carry it out. And then this takes us effectively to where I want to land this morning and where we want to uh, have ourselves for next week. This is going to be uh, of monumental importance. Uh, and really the only thing that's going to have to it's going to help us make decisions, even hard ones, if we're going to stay faithful uh, to this book and really right out of the gate in the first two, three, four chapters. We're going to take God saw that it was good and for the next few minutes talk about the fact-value dichotomy. Oh, yay, that's why I got up, right? The fact-value dichotomy. I'll try to make it as simple as I can, though we've got to be a little philosophical to do so. Um, There are facts, 2 plus 2 equals 4, but there are also values. Uh, I think that that restaurant's better than another. Uh, In our culture, that would be probably considered your opinion, though no one who said, I don't like the equation 2 plus 2 equals 4, I'm going to change it. You'll get laughed at for that. That's a fact. But you get too gung-ho on one of your values, people will tell you you're rocking the boat. Now, I can't take you by the hand um, from old world thinking uh, through uh, medieval. You you start with Aristotle and then go to Kant and then Kierkegaard and then postmodern thinkers. Uh, I have a hard enough time with that myself. But where we came from and where we are today is a lot different as far as the dawn of thinking our way through the world we live in. Right now, our culture considers facts to be public and universal. The 2 plus 2 equals 4 is for everybody, uh, and it is a public domain. But the values are considered to be private and subjective. That's your thing and your mileage may vary. But there's this big magic, uh, I don't know, like one of those heavy barbecue cleavers that just cuts the two of those and keeps them basically separate. That's where we live today, but that's not at all what we see in the Scripture. We, we see them still connected. How so? Well, and God said, that's His creative act, And it was so, there's the fact of the creation. We're living right now and breathing the molecules of that very air. Those are facts. But then he says it is good. That's a value. And he says them of both. The fact lines up with the value. And there's nowhere in Scripture where it seems to be where he says, well, I gave you this whole cold, hard a factual planet complete with laws of nature and science that cannot be broken. But I'm going to leave it to you to decide what's good and bad. We're going to find out real quick with the man and the woman and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's going to reserve the right to say what is good and what is bad, what he expects, what he'll put up with, what he will not. You'll see how this will be very important by the time we get to studying humans. Because after all the creation, the birds, the animals, all that stuff seems to be left behind. And we're talking about humanity. 
And then we're talking about sin and that sin against the God and what he's going to do about it and the punishment that results from it. And then the grace of the gospel to send his son who's going to take care of the agony of it all so we can actually reverse the whole problem and go back to the garden where God called it good. But none of that's going to make sense if we stray from what we learned in the first 10 words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That sets the whole stage if he's the one that gets to choose these things by virtue of the fact that he's the one that spoke it into existence. These are the rules that make it work. We can trifle with it and cherry pick it, but it'll fall apart and it'll be like one of those sequels that you go, first one was good. This one doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's missing something. It's lost its mojo. Something's wrong. This just becomes an incoherent, broke-backed blob, mess. It's pretty, but it won't hold together logically. So this is not unlike uh, when you see catechisms put together. You've got Westminster, or what we studied two years ago, almost, the New City Catechism, question and answer one, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God, both body and mind, and in life and death. Now, when we talked through this in our home, uh, when the children were much younger, we had one of these little flip charts kept on the dinner table. And uh, many times when we gathered for dinner, we'd go through another one. We'd have one every week. There were 52 of them. It goes for a year. And we went through this one. Um, I go to work. Corey homeschools the kids, so they get a little more in-depth. But this was the one, and when it was taught to some children here in uh, some of these classrooms, she started by giving the kids a pile of Legos. And it wasn't like a Lego kit. It was like the big bin where all Lego uh, order goes to die. There's a big tote, and you just dump them all in there. They used at one time to be in a nice box and nice little wrappers with nice instructions to tell you what they should be. Now they're in a box of an infinite combination of what they could be. Uh, you should write on the top of the tote at the house, Tohu and Bohu, <laughs> right? So she gives them their little pile of, of without form and void and tells them, make something, you got so many minutes. And they start putting something together. And then when they're done with it, she says, now, each of you tell me what it is. I don't remember who made what. Maybe it was a fish, maybe it was a horse, maybe it was a motorcycle, maybe it was, uh, you know, an atom down to its, you know, electrons. I don't know. But the point of the whole thing was after hearing from our kids what they made, the question was, well, what if I say it's something else? Am I authorized to change it? And usually kids are pretty quick with that. No. It's a horse. I made it a horse. It's never going to be a fish unless I change it to be a fish. But then with prompting of this, so you're telling me that because you made it that way, you get to say what it is. Bingo. That's the way we believe we're to understand Genesis. God made it. He gets to say what it is. He gets to say if it's good. Somebody else might look at, well, his Lego thing's better than mine. 
Well, that's a value term, but really the value term is owned by the creator. I say it's good, I say it's bad. A lot of good stuff probably over time got smashed or destroyed because the creator thought this is bad, where others might have seen value in it. But that's not the point. The point is God has said this is how it works. Now, when we get into these next chapters, we're going to have to tackle some very difficult subjects where the culture we live in, the world as we know it, that used to think about things a lot differently now thinks about them differently still, and that has happened since dawn of time. We're going to read real quickly where everything that God made good and called it good goes south very fast. They start changing it all and running right through the stop signs of all the boundaries that God said, if you want this to work like I created it, you'll have to listen to what I said. That's in our hearts. It's, it's depravity. That's how we act. But we're going to have to look at what God said, and we're going to notice immediately that it is not at all what people say, including ourselves. And we're going to have to struggle with the fact that everything that we perceive and understand from Scripture as being sinful can be identified in our own hearts. There's no such thing as people that are better than other ones who are, their shirt is less dirty. All the shirts are dirty. But without this one piece, this value-fact dichotomy, that we're not authorized to separate the values from the fact of the universe God created. They're His, and it's His business. And we'll pick up with this next time because uh, we're going to need it. And moms and dads are going to have to be vigilant. Suspend judgment. Listen. Two ears, one mouth. We'll see if God will speak. And then we'll act accordingly. But I think that's enough for today. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. There's one thing I need to tell you before we leave. We'll do that before we go. But right now, let's, let's have a prayer. Father in heaven. We thank you for your word and we thank you for not just the fact that you said and things began to exist. Lord, we thank you for the abundance. We thank you for the variety. We thank you for the creativity. We also thank you for the order. But Lord, would you help us get ready to understand the, the value of your morality? And how that as the one who wrote the operator's manual will get the best out of these machines, the best out of our dreams, the best out of our hearts and our relationships, if we'll let you be God. And at times, if it requires, we'll be quiet. Lord, give us patience and insight. Lord, give us the truth. And uh, Lord, we'll thank you for it. And Lord, may we be faithful to listen. We thank you again for time together and for the accountability and the encouragement and the friendship and all that is involved in your big family. We thank you for this time in your house. And Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen.